You have to be doing the job before you're going to be given the job. Don't wait for that description of, oh, when I'm VP, I will agitate for change or I will propose bigger changes. No, you'll never be VP of HR if you're waiting for that. Agitate for change now, frame the changes now, make the case for change now, and you'll be given the role to lead to change. And that's what we need to do. We need to be HR activists and agitate for the change that we want to see in our organization, in our people, in our employee attitude surveys. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Welcome back, Rebel HR listeners. This is going to be a super fun conversation today. With us, we have Kevin Mulcahy. He is the co-author of the award-winning book, The Future Workplace Experience. We are going to be talking about the future workplace and maybe uh, challenging some of the HR uh, norms. Uh, with us, we all also have Molly Burdess. Molly, thank you as always for joining us today. We're thrilled to have you. Yeah. Hi, guys. And Kevin, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you being here with thank us you. today. Thank you, Kyle. So I want to start off with the, uh, the the first question that I ask almost every author, and that is, um, why did you invest the time, energy, and heartburn to write a book called The Future Workplace Experience? And those are the three appropriate ingredients for writing a book. And it's more heartburn <laughs> than time and experience. So you have to, you have the essence of for writing your own book, but you, you have to be driven by a, a key theme for your book and you have to have an audience member in mind. And so, uh, for, for, for me and my author, uh, my co-author, we, we were thinking about the challenges of HR executives, and you have to have a persona in your mind. So we're thinking, okay, a 42-year-old, thereabouts, um, exec, HR executive who's um, got some direct reports, who's trying to influence the, um, the C-suite. And there's this pervasive thing, and I've heard it for like many years around HR, like HR should have a bigger seat at the table or whatever, the, some variation thereof, right? We all hear about it, how, they, how HR can have a seat at the table. Well, here's how you get a seat at the table. You get a seat at the table by talking business, right? Like HR leaders need to be business leaders. And to be a business leader, you have to help, help be versed in the conversation of where are we going and how should we best get there? And one of the, and from your domain expertise. So HR's domain expertise is the business of people. And one of the ways that you can influence senior executives is to talk about um, what is shifting and why. And a lot of times we stop at the what's and we just get descriptive. Oh, here's this trend. Here's that trend. Here's the other trend. But what executives care most about is your perspectives on the why. Why is that happening? And that's what the book was, is we went and asked uh, over 100 HR executives, what have you done differently um, to prepare for the upcoming year? In, in HR strategies and talent strategies, and why. 
And the whys became the chapters. Those were the trends. Those are what people are reacting to. This is uh, like, why is anyone changing their behavior? Pay attention to why somebody's changing the behavior. And then what they were doing, specifically those policies, those practices, those became interesting anecdotes and examples of how different organizations were responding to that why. Hmm. You know, I, I think it's fascinating because, and we're, you know, we're wired to figure out the what, right? You know, we're, we're asked to, to do that. Um, and especially earlier in our career, we, we are certainly the, we're the, the person, the people that get stuff done, right? Like just go execute, execute this vision. But then there, then you have to make this leap eventually. And, and, you know, I kind of hate the seat at the table thing. Cause it's, <laughs> it's yeah, it's like, I, 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 by the way, I totally agree. Like you earn it by knowing your shit, <laughs> but, and but also by good. articulating some of it. Right. <laughs> Here's your job. I ask every HR person, what's your job description? Right? And they're like, they give various answers. But I'm like, here is your job description. You have one job description. It's not to be head of learning or it's not to be head of acquisition and get the best talent we can. Or uh, it, Your job is very simple. Our job, every one of our job descriptions is to help our organization win. That is our job description help our company win. And how we do that is I happen to be in this HR role where I'm responsible for getting the best talent or this role where I'm responsible for, for building learning of the most relevant um, topics and themes and skills. That's a how. But, but the what is back to getting, helping our company win. And if we all share that job description, then I think we will play nicer with each other and we'll, we'll sharpen how we think about our role. And we can ask ourselves is whatever initiative that I'm proposing here, is this a feel good initiative or is this truly going to help my company win? That's the job. It sounds so simple. Yeah. (laughs) It can be. (laughs) I love that approach, but I, and I, I agree wholeheartedly, by the way, I think, you know, people ask me what, what my job is. I, I say in general, I'm a, I'm a business leader. I focus on the people, right? Like that's just kind of the arena. Um, but I, but I have to be that, I have to be that leader for my organization in the way that they need me to lead. Right. But, but it's not about me, right. It's about the organization and, or, or whatever, you know, whatever, whether it's my own personal, you know, endeavors or whatever, there's, there's an objective that you're trying to achieve. Um, and that may or may not be just implementing HR best practices everywhere. Right. Yeah. Well, so, so we'll go back to how you achieve an objective, right? So, and you've been party to business planning processes and seeing the, the wonderful results of the business planning process. And oftentimes the ones I've seen are a 50 page document with a document with the first page two and three are assumptions in the crafting of this plan. And then pages four to four to 50 are this wonderful plan. And it's almost like it's the wrong emphasis in the planning document. We should have spent a lot more time on expanding those assumptions because 
to accomplish an, a goal um, you, or, or objectives, you need resources, you need strategies, but all strategies are based on assumptions. Like we use two organizations that are in the same business with the same, same workforce with selling to the same customers. And yet they have very different strategies because they make different assumptions about how their organization can win. And then that's why you have a different strategy. So all strategy is based on assumptions. And we're very good at documenting strategies and documenting plans and timelines and budgets underneath all those strategies. But we are poor at documenting the assumptions upon which those strategies are built. And then when, when some of those assumptions change, we're, we're confused as to why our strategies didn't pan out. What happened to this castle in the sky that we designed back in January? Where did, it, where did our castle go? Well, things changed in the market. Assumptions changed. I mean, you go back uh, a number of months ago when we were talking about quite quitting. They were talking about quite hiring. And they were talking about uh, home in from work and working from home. And we were in HR, we, we lurch from market trend to market trend. And, and we're constantly shifting the assumptions based on how we feel the economy is going and the market for talent is going and, and what the expectations of our employees, uh, how they're shifting. And, and we're chasing our tail, essentially. And so I think we need to steady, steady down and have some good frameworks for organizing our assumptions about our workplace. What are our assumptions about the experience that our employees want to have here? What are our assumptions about the, the culture that, um, that we are trying to generate or have? It, uh, what are our assumptions about the technology we need to get this work done? Our assumptions about the learning we need to have in place? Our assumptions about the, the mix of workforce, the diversity of workforce that we need to have in place? Like, we, we just need to peel, peel it out and isolate some of these, these elements that make up the, collectively, these elements make up the experience of being an employee at our organization. And that's what the this notion of the future workplace is, is what is the experience we're trying to create here? And how do we make that the experience we create sustainable, on track, stand the test of time? We'll be back after a quick break. And so used to having everything in front of them right away, that we forget that innovation just takes time. I, I myself, I get frustrated too. Why? And you know, this is being one of my best friends is, Hey, I talk to you all the time. Hey man, I'm frustrated in the fact that I can't seem to just get there in mm -hmm. the next day, but that's just not how these things work, right? Innovation needs to be planned out. It needs to be very methodical. And then when it finally hits, that's when it seems like to everyone else that it, it sort of just came out of nowhere. But to you, you know, the amount of dedication that it took over that time. 
I even see a difference in assumptions internally. So different business unit leaders having their own assumptions, right, about how to win, what's happening, why it's happening. And I think HR has a great opportunity to ask those business leaders, why do you think that way? And kind of bring it all together to help align the strategy and get everybody going in one direction. Oh, you are so spot on, Molly. Um, if, if you went, an HR has the ability to go interview uh, the other executives and just say, look, I just want to sit down with you and I want to understand what are your assumptions about the business? What are your assumptions about talent? I mean, just structure the framework that you want to ask assumptions about. What are your assumptions about how fast this company might, uh, could grow in the, in, in the next 12 months? And what you'll find is um, if you interview uh, 10 different uh, business leaders, you'll almost have eight different sets of assumptions from those 10 leaders. And then you're like, oh, my goodness, how are they all individually in their, in their functions making plans when I just heard, I just asked them what their underlying assumptions were about these various elements and I got all these different answers. It is a miracle that our business uh, accomplishes our targets at all because they're all making different underlying assumptions. But these executives never actually shared those assumptions with each other. But HR has a great opportunity to surface the assumptions that are being made by executives, not only to design um, a, a more aligned uh, people plan, but also to help be a business leader by exposing some of the disconnects among the different assumptions that executives are making about the business. You can't staff for, for two different objectives. It's just too hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling over here because it's like, yep, yep, that caused <laughs> that argument and that yeah. argument and that argument. That's <laughs> it. And a lot of times it's just like, yeah, there's just a disconnect somewhere and you know where that is. A lot of times that's the other thing too. We like, we like focus on, on the, the point of conflict as opposed to actually understanding, okay, what are the, what are the actually, what are the underlying foundational disagreements that we need to clear up before we start to figure out this, like this isolated point of conflict and, and uh, you know, a little bit of a light bulb moment for me as you were as you were walking through that. So, you know, you, I agree wholeheartedly that we, we in human resources do have a, a role to play. Um, for those of us that are, that are kind of think, sitting here thinking, geez, I, yes, I've seen that. That makes sense. What advice do you have for us as we're trying to navigate this? Like where do, where do we start at really kind of, kind of understanding these foundational assumptions and, and challenging and driving alignment on those? So, uh, and I think you, you've pinpointed when you hear the argument happening and then you, you hear what the argument is about, arguments that I have witnessed tend to be around strategy or tactics um, or objectives. Look, that uh, we, we can't take on that growth plan. We need to, to, I won't call it sandbag it down, but let's call it sandbagging it, sandbag it down a little bit. And, or they're saying, no, we should grow in the, in the East Coast, not, not in the Midwest. And here's why. And what they don't do is here's why. They're just arguing and trying to convince 
each other on what is a better strategy. And sometimes you get some whys, but the argument is about strategy. And one of the opportunities for HR is to go, look, you're sensing and witnessing the disagreement. Let's unpack what is behind some of this, these positions. What assumptions are you making about our capacity to grow? What assumptions are you making about our capacity to hire or scale up to support that level of growth or not hire and scale up to support that level of growth? What capacity are you making about the skill sets we either have in place or we need to put in place to put that plan in force? Like, what, why do you think a 10% growth is too, too aggressive there? And get at what the people issue, what assumptions have they made about the people issues underneath them? Oh, it seems like you're assuming that uh, we'll have 100% retention. If you're, everybody's going to graduate. It's like, or you, it's assuming that we'll be able to fill those 100 open roles in Q3 or Q2, whatever it is, or, or we'll be able to get all of those skill sets by that time. Like you, the, the people often in these planning processes are numbers in the spreadsheet. To reach this goal, we'll need this amount of people by this date. And over to you, HR. <laughs> and, and you're like, hang on. That's, it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah, or everybody we hire day one will be fully trained and able to right. and achieve 100% of your objective yes. here, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember... Um, I remember a light bulb going off in one of my uh, one of my finance uh, team members' heads a few years ago when they they put a staffing plan to achieve you know X percent growth whatever and they put it in front of me and I said okay we need uh, let's just use round numbers okay we need a hundred people turnover rate is let's let's say twenty percent that means yep. uh, we need to hire twenty percent more than that just to increase to that hundred so right. so it's actually this expensive and oh by the way here's the cost of new hires. And, you know, and then you extrapolate out from there and then like, oh, yeah, we didn't think about that. Maybe we need to, you know, and it's, yeah. oh, we need to hire them over the, I mean, that completely reshaped the conversation, changed the growth projections. But at the end of the day, we, we, we beat our objectives purely because we were realistic about what we could actually achieve. Um, and, we, and, you know, we met our goals, but, it, you know, it, I mean, going back to that assumption is, is pretty critical, especially on the people side that we we are honest <laughs> with those assumptions right and and w one of the big the great sources of assumptions and as a as we came out of the pandemic i was asking people about uh, how they're tapping into employee sentiment right big trend what and it was surprising to me how many organizations said actually we haven't asked in the last year or two because of circumstances. We've been in a bit of an emergency. We've been responding and dealing with matters at hand related to the pandemic and then to uh, an, an unexpected downturn in the economy at the, at the end of 2022, right? So uh, it's often, I hear a long list of reasons why they didn't do the employee um, attitude survey or voice of the employee survey. And it, and it was one in five that said, well, actually, we did do one. 
And, and when they did do it, but were discounting the results. And then there was one person who said, we did one, uh, we got the results, and we believe the results. So here's a radical idea. <laughs> when you ask your employees something and they give you an answer, the radical idea is believe them. What if what they said was actually true? What if we believed what was in the employee attitude survey? What would be the implications of that? But, but Kevin, then that wouldn't fit the narrative of what we want to believe in our minds. And that hurts not. my ego. So I don't want to do that. <laughs> Can you we, tell we I've have... had this conversation? Yeah. Well, let's go back to the ego. What's your job, Kyle? What did we agree your job was at the start of this conversation? I think your job is to help your organization win, not to massage your ego or to preserve your personal ego. Right? I do. All kidding aside. All kidding aside, Kevin, I do sometimes when people ask what my job is, a lot of time I say it's ego management. That like a, a large percentage of my time is spent doing that. But, uh, okay. you know, well, it's... Well, it's ego management. And it's also, I'm going to suggest that part of your job should be uh, be an HR activist in, in, your, in your job descriptions. If you're hiring anyone from, for an HR role, I'm suggesting to everyone listening that they put in, in the job description, be an HR activist. And you can define that by um, agitating for the change that you want to see in this organization. It should be part of the job description to agitate for change. We've seen a lot in the media about various movements that are collectively agitating for change. And they're multi-generational, they're, they're multi ethnic movements that are agitating for change. So I think we're in an era of, we have to get back to, uh, uh, it's almost what I sometimes, uh, when I'm coaching some, some rising executives, I say, look, uh, uh, promotions are, 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 are taken, never given. And you have to be in the role before you're, you have to be doing the job before you're going to be given the job. You have to, don't, don't wait for that, that description of, oh, when I'm VP, I will agitate for change or I will propose bigger changes. No, you'll never be VP of HR if you're waiting for that. Agitate for change now, frame the changes now, make the case for change now, and you'll be given the role to lead to change. And that's what I think most HR um, pathways are, are inevitably going to is, is the rest of the organization wants to know that the, the change agents for our people, are, it, they're, it's in safe hands. Like, and that's what we need to do. We need to be HR activists and agitate for the change that we want to see in our organization, in our people, in our employee attitude surveys. Fantastic advice. I love that. Molly, you're a disruptor. Try. <laughs> I, I, want to, I want to see Molly's employment attitude survey results. <laughs> then I want to hear what you oh. did about them. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> <laughs> we I need them every her. year. 
Yeah, I, I believe her. I think a lot of it is just about, okay, we've got it. How do you present it to those execs and those leaders um, in a way that manages their ego? I think that's half the battle. Uh, well, that is half the battle, Molly. And the other half of the battle is to also present the results to the employees and say, here's what you said. We heard you. I am stunned mm-hmm. as to how many, uh, how, many, how many of the results get buried or... We've reviewed them and here's what popped out. And we're just telling you what the ones that we're going to do something about. Like, oh, you know, a little bit more transparency would have been, here's what y'all said. And here's the eight issues that popped out that are clearly burning issues. However, honestly, we can tackle these. We're going to tackle these three and these other five we can't actually tackle for a while or we're not going to tackle for a while. And just putting, feeding back to people. So what I heard you collectively say was the following, and even radical idea, a follow-up validation. So these are the eight things that people talked about. Among these eight, let's just have another poll. Which do you think we should implement in Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4? But we have heard you and showing that we've heard. And then, Molly, to your point, yes, you have to then um, use your best influencer style with senior executives to show them what, why they need to respond here. And basically, a guiding principle is don't ask if you don't want to know the answer to the question. And or if you're not guiding, willing to do anything about it. Yes. And a second, if you're, if you hear it, acknowledge it. And if you can do something about it, it's not that hard, this whole employee attitude survey business, but it's shocking how many people find reasons to say not the right time or the organization is upset because we laid a few people off recently. This is exactly the right time. You've got to hear it. You've got to hear what the sentiment is, not wait for the sentiment to be positive and then go ask. And then everybody that's a round robin pets themselves on the back and says what a good job they're doing. And our, our role is to run to the conflict in HR. Like we often think it's to mitigate the conflict, but if we run to the conflict, we can get ahead of it before it's a situation, before people start resigning. And a big part of where conflict now lies as we're coming back to the workplace, a lot of managers implemented management by Zoom. And management by Zoom tended to lead to, at best, meetings with agendas. I'm going to challenge all the listeners to go, when's the last time you walked into a meeting with an agenda? And what percentage of meetings do you attend have an agenda? And then what percentage of those meetings actually stuck to the agenda? And if that number is pretty small, well, there's a good New Year's resolution for everyone to think about preparing people with agendas, et cetera. And and following up on that then is just um, how do we um, make sure that the right items are on the agenda for action and capture those action steps? And a lot of times over the pandemic, we got very action-oriented on our meetings and calls, and we missed the, hey, Molly, how are you? Kyle, how was your weekend? We missed the 
personal interaction time that we used to have before the Zoom, before our meetings and after our meetings. And now what I advocate uh, for, for managers and leaders is the next time you're on a meeting, allow 10 minutes for, for the one agenda item. And, and this is a question, go, the, the agenda item is called, how are you? And then just, Molly, how are you? And then allow time in the agenda to wait for the answer from Molly. Kyle, how are you? Kevin, how are you? And, and at the end of the meeting, I'll suggest another question. How are we? We had a meeting. We knew where we were coming into this meeting. Now we've gone through the meeting. We've covered the thing. How are we? Do we feel better about what we just covered? Do we feel worse about it? Just a temperature check on how we are. And if we get those two practices in every interaction with, with others, we're going off huge way towards, um, and I'm going to say the movement in, in HR is people used to be VP of HR or human resources. I'm vice president of human resources. People aren't use resources, they're people. And a lot of uh, leaders I'm now talking to in the space are, I'm a chief people officer. And the difference is, People are more than resources. They're, they're people. And we're, my, as in a chief people officer role, I am thinking about the, the human part of, the, of our employees. And yes, while I may want them to come to the office and I've asked them if they want to come in, they say they don't, but our, man, our leaders want them to come in. Like, no, believe the employee. And, and I think leaders just, as with every generational turn, you have to believe what the next generation of people are saying is important to them, if you asked. So I've put a lot of different thoughts there on the table. So what do you want? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think it's all, it's, it's, it's all so, so true. You know, one thing you were just talking about the meetings, like I was, and I literally just did this today, had a meeting, staff meeting, weekly meeting, jumped right into business. It was like, you know, hard hitting business stuff. And it was just like this, 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 do this, do this, shooting off emails as we're going yeah. through the meeting. And then got to the end of the meeting. It was like 45 minutes in and 15 minutes left. And I said, okay, hold on. How's everybody doing? <laughs> you know, anybody have anything good to share? Yeah. And we got on a full on discussion about little Debbie snack cakes and like how that's really hard and, you know, and, but the kids love them. And so they're just around and we just eat them, you know, but it was like, that goofy, um, that you know, that goofy discussion uh, was was probably the most enjoyable interaction of that entire meeting, and you know, everybody left with a smile on their face. Versus, you know, geez, Kyle's cranky today, which would probably would have been <laughs> yeah. the takeaway. So, yeah. you know, a good good reminder. And and I think it goes back to though it goes back to you know it does go back to that activism piece, right? Like, are you in HR? Are you challenging your leaders to have effective meetings? Have, have we really given our leaders the tools to be effective virtual managers? Or did we just say, Zoom, good luck, set up weekly one-on-ones, you know, and, and have at it? Um, I mean, I, you know, if I'm being honest, it, I could have done more than I did, right? And so it's, and, but we've been doing this for a while now. And I, and I do think that um, a lot of times it's easy for us to get kind of lulled into a false sense of security. Like, well, we've done it for a year or two. It seems to be going fine. Um, but it's, it's that exact moment where you get complacent or you just become, you know, what, what, uh, you described before we hit, uh, record as an implementer of instructions, 
versus that true HR activist that's pushing for change and improvement and better leadership. You know, that's that's risk, right? You're opening yourselves up to risk. And and uh, again, going back to what we've been talking about this whole time, you put your organizational goals at risk. The 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 thing that we're all trying to achieve at risk. So I think I think a good challenge. Yeah. yeah, no, and I, I love the fact that you, you, you came to this wisdom at the back end of your meeting and you pivoted, right? And, <laughs> and but we do need to get back to um, what I'm calling a, a great reconnection in the workplace. And part of reconnecting is asking people what's going on. And when you do ask people, well, um, how are you? What's, what's going on? Um, and that question is just asked openly before we cover business. What I find is more than half the time, the answer to that has nothing to do with what's going on within the, uh, the company. It's, well, there's the new baby, there's the new house, there's the new car, there's the, the, the mother-in-law just is visiting. It's, it's something personal. And, and before we get to the business agenda, and I just find, and I've been on a few meetings recently, when, whenever we had a little bit of just personal connection, that 15 minutes that you gave at the end, when we have that up front at the beginning, and it just feels like, okay, we're just, just checking in with everybody. Where is everybody? What's going on? Anybody got anything exciting to share? It's just a nice moment. And, and make an observation on some of the meetings you've been in with senior executives. And somehow my observation is the more senior people are, the more they seem to feel empowered to just have a quick run around the table and check in with people. And it makes everybody feel good. But at the lower ranks, we feel compelled to just get down to brass tacks pretty pronto. And part of bringing executive presence into the field is like you're, you're in, you're in HR. It's, it's the people business. Let's start leading with examples of showing that we care for others. Your, your people, your, your intercommunication skills have to be top notch to be in HR. It's part of the trade. You're in the people business. And a big part of that is, involves asking questions and listening to the answers. What if I don't like the answers? <laughs> well, full circle, uh, right back where we started. <laughs> you, still, you still acknowledge the answer. Like, thank you um, for sharing that answer. But now at least, and, and somebody, when I was in corporate planning, they said, well, now the turd is on the table. It's like there you go. You you asked and you you got the answer and you know what are you going to do with it now? You're going to play with it, juggle it, hide it, <laughs> dress it. I love yeah, this I visualization right now. <laughs> I like the well, phrase "polish that turd." I don't know if anybody else has heard that one, but that that's one of my favorites. Let's just polish that turd. Polish, right it, polish it too. Mount it. Polish it. You know. <laughs> But it's on the table, oh. and it's steaming, you know, and we have when, to deal with it now. When we, when and we, uh, we're, 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 we have to deal with it, right? 
it's there we were anyway. planning for this topic just just so everybody knows we we weren't planning on talking about turds but but i love it yeah. like this is this is maybe one of the favorite tangents i've had on this on this show yeah Kev- that was not on the agenda <laughs> <laughs> kevin this has just been an absolute joy um, I'm going to put another plug in for the book. It is the future workplace experience. Um, and I just, I absolutely love this topic. The, the great reconnection. Um, you know, I, I think it, it fits my worldview. Certainly, um, you know, Molly, I, I have a feeling you probably agree with that as well. And so I encourage everybody to, to check out, uh, Kevin and his work. Um, I do want to shift gears and go through the rebel HR flash round. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Question number one, where does HR need to rebel? I think we might've covered that, but be an activist, go be an uh, agitate for change and get your cues from the employee surveys. What changes do they want to see in the workplace and manifest those, bring those to the, to the, to the people. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I mean, that's basically why this podcast exists. Um, you know, the other thing I would say too is, you know, for I'm sure there's probably some folks listening out there that don't have the budget for a survey or anything like that. Like there, believe me, there are ways to get almost free surveys out there or just ask, right. You know, stay interviews, focus groups, skip levels, walk around, talk to people, you know, like just you gotta talk be to people. Yeah. Ask 10 people to ask 10 questions of other people. Uh, you don't need to have surveyed everybody to get a temperature check. It gives you an indication and, and links to a Google Doc. Look, we have an online survey. Just click in the link, fill out the three questions. I mean, we're, we have the technology now. Let's use the technology we have. This is, this is not hard. Absolutely. Question number two, who should we be listening to? Employees. <laughs> uh, We've them. kind of answered these questions through this. this yeah, podcast, we, have, right? <laughs> we have to listen to employees. And uh, I just to add something different to that, the, um, the ones who left us, and I know we do the exit interviews and uh, for, for those that do, but I, I often wonder what actually really happens with those exit interviews of of employees that left and what did they say or employees that were offered a role and didn't accept and what did they say so there's there's two disconnects on both sides there so you have to be listening to not just employees but former employees and uh prospective employees what do you what are your feelings about our company why did you apply here to bring this full circle, what I find a lot of times is our employees also have assumptions about why and what we do as an organization. And sometimes I feel like that's the most valuable feedback and that's an easy fix, right? Like maybe I need to be more transparent here or communicate why we did this. Um, but employees definitely have assumptions as well. Here's my favorite question. Let's, let me pop it on Molly. So Molly, what do you enjoy most about working here? In 30 seconds or less. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> you going to answer it? or Nope. <laughs> but, but, let's but ask you, know, you that in the context of, what do you enjoy about being a co-host on the Rebel Human Resources podcast? Oh, talking to awesome people like yeah, you guys. 
talking about turds, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) That is, uh, so we've talked, you know, if I had a bingo card, we actually, we have talked about coffee enemas at one point. I think this is the first turd reference that we've had. I'm sure there's some other references out there, but, uh, you know, for whatever reason, this, you know what, and maybe it's just because we are in human resources. We're just used to this. <laughs> so dreaded right. bathroom complaint. I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, maybe it's just, maybe it's just on the mind. What, what, what was that Molly? Something about how thick the toilet paper was. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Moving oh. on Kyle. Okay. All right. Sorry. We're getting personal. Okay. Quite the last question in the rebel HR flash round. How can our listeners connect with you? Uh, so I, on Kevin Mulcahy.com. That's uh, uh, you can find me through that website or just Kevin at KevinMulcahy.com. Absolutely. And we will have all that information in the show notes. So open up your podcast player, click in there, check it out. Check out the book. Um, you know, just some really great practical advice here. And I just, I think, you know, from my standpoint, there's a number of th- takeaways for me personally, but, you know, just challenging those assumptions and getting aligned on the assumptions we actually are using uh, to achieve our mission, I think, um, you know, probably mission number one. So really appreciate you coming on, helping uh, shape our perspective a little bit, Kevin, and keep up the great work. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.